Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings, yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. survivors. Welcome to another episode of Self-Care for Survivors of Trauma. And today I'm talking about the question, why am I attracted to emotionally unavailable people? So I didn't know I was attracted to emotionally unavailable people for a very, very long time. I mean, I dated a lot in my 20s. And then I met my well, I had already known my ex-husband, but we rekindled our romance and then ended up getting married. And being married for eight years. And then after my marriage ended, I didn't really know then I thought mostly the problem was him. And I was going to be able to find, you know, that person on a white horse that would swoop in and make everything okay. I kind of did have that fantasy that I just married the wrong person. And that there was another person out there who would treat me better just magically. You know, I I guess I thought that it was kind of the luck of the draw. That's what I got from people that would talk about it in my life, about marriage and stuff like that. I didn't realize how much I had such a huge part in the types of people that I brought into my life, love relationships or friendships or whatever, even allowing family members in my life that were not treating me right. I had no idea what was going on there and that I had any type of control over those decisions in my life. So yeah, today I'm going to talk about why I was attracted to emotionally unavailable people and describe how that's changed in the last six years. Thank goodness I can see it finally changing for me. And there's hope. If I was attracted to emotionally unavailable people in the past, I know that I can change if I'm willing to notice that and ask that question why and hear the answer and move forward from that and start making changes in my life to attract different types of people. So the answer to that question, if you're wondering it, maybe you already know, um, why am I attracted to emotionally unavailable people? Well, the very simple answer is, and I'm sorry to tell you this if you don't know, because it would really hurt me to hear it, is that because I'm emotionally unavailable. Ah, oh my God, I hated that when I first heard that, maybe from Tracy McMillan. She's like a, a, a really great speaker and writer. Um, about relationships. I love reading her stuff. She's on Instagram and and Facebook and all those things. And she does little videos. Um, but sh- I think that's where I first heard it. And I was just like, could that be true? Like, I don't think that's true. I'm such a loving person. Why? How could I be so emotionally unavailable? But then as I learned more about it and started to unpack it more, I realized that because I did have low self-esteem, I didn't have good self-worth. I thought that 
um, when it really came down to it, I was super uncomfortable with other people in love relationships seeing me for who I was. I think in friendships, I had a little bit of real intimacy going on, a tiny bit here and there. Um, But in love relationships, I certainly didn't. I hadn't ever really experienced a relationship where I could truly be myself. And I didn't know it. I was in major denial, um, thinking that I was in a really loving relationship in my marriage. And that denial was strong for a long, long time. Um, And before that, I just had no idea in the types of people I was dating in my 20s. I just thought that was kind of like how it was in your early 20s that like, I would, you know, go out with friends or I'd meet people at my work. And it would be like kind of a short fling or something like that. And maybe the guy would just not be interested in having a girlfriend or whatnot. And I just thought that was the way things were. And the few times that I did date, I certainly I dated at least one person who I'm pretty certain was a good guy, emotionally available, and I didn't take it seriously. I I look back at that now and I'm like, what was going on there? I, I was uncomfortable with him taking it seriously. Um, he was a little bit older than me. I think he was more ready to settle down. And maybe at that time I wasn't. I guess I didn't really know what I wanted. I think all I wanted back then was to feel wanted. I wanted to feel desired. I wanted to feel like the man I was with thought I was amazing. Um, And that's pretty one-sided. And I wanted to think they were amazing too. Like I don't think um, I treated anybody that poorly. Um, But I did not take this one guy very seriously who was a good person. And um, I really, I, I led a lot with my sexuality instead of my heart. And I didn't know another way to be. So it took until after I got divorced that I started, when I tried to date again, maybe like a year or two after I got divorced, I was really attracting some bad people. And it was it was dangerous, I'd say. Um, I don't really feel like telling that exact story at this moment. Maybe later. It just is one of those things I don't want to relive, but... I dated somebody pretty awful uh, that first time that I tried to date after I was married. And after that, I think it really woke me up to be like, oh, shoot, this is like a major problem. Like, this is, I am really attracting a bad type of person. And what is that about me that needs to change so that I can attract somebody better? And what it turned out to be is I needed to learn who I was. I needed to be able to have my own opinions and not worry about the other person's opinions. And I had to believe that I get to choose what type of relationship I want in my life. I think I would enter a relationship back in the past and I would just defer to the other person on how it should go. I didn't really have a lot of substance to my character back then. I'm sure it was inside of me, but I had no way of showing that to the people that I was dating. I would get kind of small and quiet and just allow things to happen the way they wanted them to happen. One thing I know now that I didn't know then is the reason I was attracted to 
my ex-husband, who I think is a covert narcissist, is because I was uncomfortable with being myself around other people. And that person, my ex-husband or anybody like that, they weren't pushing me to be emotionally present. They were not in the present moment. They had an agenda, whether they know it or not. They had an agenda and I was willing to be part of that and go along with that plan. And they kind of were able on the flip side to fulfill that fantasy of mine that love relationships are easy and sex relationships are easy. And I think it really was kind of a dance together that is dysfunctional, but for a while it feels like it's working. And sadly, that while can be two years, three years. I know that it lasted at least two years before I got married, that things were going so easy and wonderful with my ex. He was treating me, I thought, pretty well. Um, I look back now, and during those two years, there weren't red flags. He really did show up as the person I always thought he could be. But then the second we got engaged was when he started showing his true colors again, and the truth started more unveiling itself. But at that point, I was so far into it, I wasn't going to not marry him at that time. I wanted to get married. I wanted that fantasy. I thought that things could change and he'd change back to that person that he had been during those two years of courtship. Um, So that was... I can see that now that that was me believing in some untruth, believing in some dishonesty, and I was not skilled enough at that time to see it. Um, I just didn't have the emotional maturity to be able to see that. So I think emotional um, availability, emotional availability is about being mature and being able to know who we are and ask for what we want. And so I guess the flip side of this conversation is, how do we become more emotionally mature? So, okay, I'm at this point, and like I was maybe six years ago, or even three years ago, or last year, I mean, I think I've made a lot of progress, and I think I'm finally starting to step out of my emotional immaturity, starting to step out of my emotional unavailability. It's hard for me, though. It takes time and practice. So... How do we become more emotionally available? So the first thing is definitely to start knowing ourselves. I have I journal all the time. I did the program The Writer's Way, which has us do journal three pages pen to paper in the morning. And I was doing that to spark my creativity in the beginning because I wanted to write a memoir. Or I was writing a memoir and I wanted to keep up that writing. And that journaling has been so important to me. I mean, besides my prayer and meditation routine in the mornings, the second part of my self-care, my emotional self-care that I just don't think I can live without is my pen to paper journaling. And so I just did some this morning and I just feel much more connected to myself after I do it. So I have to be able to put pen to paper to to realize what I'm feeling at any time and to allow myself to 
feel those feelings, to notice them, to see what I'm going through, to see I'm making progress. All those things come out when I'm able to put my pen to paper. Um, so I start started doing that. I think it's been maybe four years now that I've, for a while I was doing it every morning. Um, when I worked part-time, I was able to do it a lot more. This year that I'm working full-time, I do it um, at least, I'd say, three times a week probably. And it's not no longer morning all the time. On the weekend, I try to do it in the mornings. But I sometimes do it when I come home from work um, or on you know the weekends. I'll do it on the a- in the afternoon or something like that if I didn't have time in the morning. And it really helps me connect back to myself and helps me be emotionally available to myself doesn't that just make complete sense right there like if I'm willing to sit down and discuss my emotions with myself I know it sounds kind of silly but that's kind of what it is for me I'm like sitting there and having like a little discourse between maybe the parts of myself like what's going on with this part and how is this part feeling? Oh, that part's feeling a little angry today. Oh, that part's sad today. Okay, maybe that part needs to cry a little bit, you know, and I need to let out these emotions that have been trapped in there this week or whatever went on in, in the week and get to know myself a little bit better. So I think that's one of the first parts of how do I become more emotionally available. And then the other part of it is, I had to start taking risks with people that are trustworthy. So weeding out which people are worth me taking an emotional risk with, yeah, that was a long process. And I had to start saying no to people in my life, um, even family members who I realized I couldn't be emotionally honest with because I'd felt dumped on or I felt... um, not listened to, not heard, not taken seriously. There was a lot of that from my childhood and my family. And um, so I don't open up emotionally to those people anymore. But there are people in my life who now I do trust. And so I kind of weigh it out before. Is this a trustworthy person? Is it worth me taking a little risk here emotionally? And so I've been more like that with, you know, parents of my son's friends here and there I'll try to take a little emotional risk and see if we can be closer or um, different friends of mine you know I've developed some better relationships with friends and let go of some friends that it wasn't working with or who I can't trust as much Um, and then when it comes to a dating relationship that has been the hardest part so through the last six years, I've dated here and there um, with some apps or a couple times with people I just met in real life. And it's been really hard. And But I've started to learn how to try and be myself on a date and letting that be the most important outcome of any date I go on is that I am willing to show up as myself even if the other person doesn't like it. Now I go in with the idea that if I can show up as myself, then I then I won, no matter what happens. It's not about me trying to manipulate the situation for the other per- person to like me, because that doesn't work. <laughs> if I'm showing up as not my true self and they like me, well, that doesn't work for me anymore. I think it used to give me attention and it used to make me feel good, 
but not anymore. I don't want attention from somebody who is not really listening to me. It doesn't feel good anymore. So maybe that drug worked for me for a while. Um, just like any drug, it does for a while. And then afterwards, you have a, a, a hard crash. And so now with relationships, yeah, I try to show up as myself. Um, the other day I had a business relationship with somebody. And so I had to be professional, but we were having a difficult conversation about some feedback that I was given about some some job I did. And this was a time where I had to really be in touch with the present moment. And emotional availability to me is like really being in touch with the present moment and kind of feeling out, is this a good time to open up for a second? Or is this not a time to open up? And I feel like it really takes me tapping into that present moment to see if that's the time. And so with this business person that I was talking with, there was a moment where he asked me a question and I could have chosen at that time to kind of close down or I could have chosen to say a little bit more and give some details. And I felt like, you know what, let me just try it. And so I didn't share everything. It has to be a boundary share, especially in a professional environment. But I did share a detail about something coming up. And I said, what do you think about this? This is what's happening with me. And this is my decision about it. And and it came across well. And this person ended up opening up to me about some things in his past that, and it turned out he totally understood me. And we had a major connection in that moment. And now moving forward with this person, we're going to understand each other a lot better because I was able to be emotionally av- available at that moment. And I took the risk because if I had taken the risk and it went bad, then I would have known, okay, the next time I'm not going to do that with that person. And so, you know, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of listening and seeing how things go and deciding, is this person worth it? Is this a place where I can open up? And in my love relationship, I want a partner where I can open up and be available and practice those skills. And if I don't feel safe, then that's not going to work out. And so I have to go very, very slowly and get to know people um, really well before I give my whole heart to them, you know, in a in a whatever relationship or give a piece of my heart to them. Um, and one last thing I was going to mention about this is in my 20s and before that teens, I had this friend and she and I were so connected. We were best friends. We loved each other. We spent so much time together. Um, we went to the same high school we met on when we were running cross country, and we just had a lot in common. And so when she went to college, we still stayed friends. And I'd, I was a year younger than her. So I went up to visit her there, we'd have s- such a blast. And so we were friends throughout college. And um Here's the thing, though, like I look back on that friendship now, and she and I told each other everything. And we were just like attached at the hip, right? We were the kind of friends who would use the bathroom at the same time, you know, and go shopping together and all these things that I can't do with everybody, but she and I could do it. But that kind of friendship, I would say now it was really codependent. 
Um, I'm sure, I mean, there's no question in my mind. So that to me is like, is that emotional availability? And I'd say no, it's, it's not really. What that is, is I think what they call trauma bonding. And so what she and I had was like a major trauma bond where we were just talking about all the bad stuff that happened to us. And we were talking shit about the people in our lives that wronged us at this moment. Like we were both so resentful of other people in our lives. And it totally makes sense that someday in the future, you know, after we were best friends for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe a little less than that. Of course, it came back around and we got resentful at each other and had a really awful breakup. And so I think that trauma bond, it feels like it's a connection and it feels good, but it's back in kind of like that emotional drug territory where it's not sustainable. It's not going to last. And therefore, it's not based on truth and love, sadly. And uh, that's really painful to end a relationship like that. Um, and she and I just didn't have any boundaries. It was, it was pretty bad. I mean, no boundaries, even with our sexuality. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was, it was an unhealthy relationship, but it's very interesting the way those types of relationships can masquerade as something healthy and something beautiful and something to strive for. But now I know that I don't need to have like a best friend where we're attached at the hip. That's actually maybe not healthy for me. Maybe that's too close. And now my friendships are more on that even keeled, um, you know, give and take type thing where we both have our own lives and sometimes they intersect and that's wonderful when we can come together and connect, but we also live our separate things and are separate people. And um, that's something I had to learn and it was really painful, but there's so much hope if we're here listening to this podcast, like I listen to so many relationship podcasts, because I want to learn, I want to learn how to be better in relationships and be more communicative and more open and not get resentful, because I did all these things for someone and they didn't do them back for me the way I expected. Like I so that's so the immature way of behaving in my mind. And I don't want that for my life anymore. So good for you if you're listening to this. And willing to take the next steps for yourself in wherever you are what kinds of things can you do that are going to start to nurture yourself and help you be able to have healthier relationships with everyone in your life we get to choose who we have relationships with and especially with friendships and even with family I am majorly a proponent of we get to choose how much of a relationship we want with our family members. We don't have to be neck and neck or attached at the hip with family members that are mean to us. So I support you in choosing those boundaries with your family members, choosing the friends that are right for you and letting go of the rest. Yes, it'll be hard for a couple weeks, but it's so worth it. So take care, Survivor. Do something to take care of you this week in your relationships. And how can you be more emotionally available? It feels so good. I want that for you. Bye-bye. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. 
thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop on the first Wednesday of every month. Just DM me at iHeartsAaron.com.